Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss one, and thank you for listening. And as I tell you every week, everything you hear on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show. That's Trunk Nation. It's heard Monday through Friday live, 3 to 5 Eastern, on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or anytime Live or on demand on the Sirius XM app. It's also nightly re-airs of the show at midnight Eastern on 103. There's also a sixth show on Mondays, 5 to 8 Eastern on Hair Nation. A lot to listen to. Come on board and join us on Sirius XM if you aren't already. If you'd like to get a free three-month trial subscription, very easy. No credit card required. All you've got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Three free months to sample Trunk Nation and Sirius XM either on the app or over your radios. Totally free. Again, no credit card needed. And you can hear everything going on. And then if you want to come on board, you can come on board and join us. If you're only listening to the podcast, you're only getting a tiny, tiny taste of what I do on the radio each and every weekday. So no excuse to not give it a try and check it out. If you're outside the U.S. or Canada, a great way to hear what I'm doing is through this podcast. So thank you for checking it out. Um, okay. So this week we've got a couple interviews for you, both legendary British musicians. We're going to start with KK Downing founding member of Judas priest, of course, former guitarist from that band. He's got his own band now called KK's priest just released the brand new album. His second with this group, 
featuring another former Priest member, Tim Ripper Owens, on vocals. We'll start hearing from KK, and we'll follow it up with David Coverdale of Whitesnake. And you'll get an update from David as to where things stand with Whitesnake, and also you'll hear from him about the reissue of a record he has coming out called The Purple Album, which is a remix and expanded edition of a Whitesnake record he did doing all Deep Purple songs. That'll come up second. We'll start with KK, DC second. That's what we have for you on this week's podcast. But we'll get started, as I just said, with KK Downing. Enjoy. KK, how are you, buddy? Hi, you're Ed. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. And hello, everybody uh, over that side of the pond. You know, we uh, we spoke last night on the YouTube show with Don and Jim, and at the time, you were in the middle of making a music video for the new album, and as soon as you finished with us, you went back to the set. Is the video done? How did it come out? Yeah, fantastic. We did get out of that till about three in the morning, but we had loads of fun making it. It was, uh, and I'm really looking forward uh, to releasing it. It's out on the 29th of this month, actually on the same day of the album release. That is, uh, and it's for the track Him 66, right? That's correct. Yes, it is. Yeah, which is a great track on the record. Who does the uh, speaking part in the beginning of that song, KK? Well, um, um, I have to say that um, I do quite a lot of the uh, narrations on the album. And, um, yeah, so I quite enjoy doing that. You know, obviously detuning the voice and stuff like that but i really kind of get into it ed you know um so uh yeah loads of fun like i say i mean it's not uh you know you have to have a little bit of um you know joviality along the way and enjoy yourself a little bit while you're doing this and um and and why not because it's such a wonderful kind of industry uh to be in well for me um, it's certainly uh, my one more shot at glory, I think, Ed. Yeah, well, it's the record, you know, as I was telling you last night and earlier, and I was telling my audience, the record to me, and I love the previous record, but this one seems like just everything went up a notch. Were you, uh, you conscious of that? You know, when you went from album number one to album number two, to establish KK's Priest, what were your goals? What did you want to set out to do? Yeah. Well, to, in all fairness, on the first album, I was kind of, because me being a great kind of um, classic metal fan, if you like, rock and metal, you know, I'm I'm kind of the old school. I like that a lot, you know, Van Halen, Saxon, Scorpions, UFO, the list goes on and on and on, you know, Priest, Maiden. Uh, yeah, all of that. But And so... For that reason, I think that um, I don't want any of that to disappear. I wanted to have a long, a long life, you know, and I wanted to continue. And on the first album, I was kind of thinking, you know, I'm quite happy if some of these songs sound like that could be on the Stained Class or British Steel or or any record, you know, from uh, my from my history. And um, and I kind of like that, you know, adhering to the classic metal sound without too much saturation. And then I kind of did a bit of a U-turn, I must say. You know, um, on the second album, I thought, you know what? Um, way back in 89, uh, we decided to up the ante a little bit, you know, with the Painkiller album, and just kind of lean on it a little bit and metalize it a little bit. And, um, 
and and so it just become a little bit more intense and kind of that was kind of in my mind uh, when going ahead with the second album you know because um these things you know you have to try things out and and like i say it's um it's kind of um interesting to see um what the audience is like today and what the audience adheres to. Um, but it does seem as though, as you said, Ed, the, the new record, you know, um, from the people that have heard it, really particularly like, you know, the production and the direction of the new record. And the thing about it, KK, is that you, in the decades you've been making metal music, and I, I said a second ago that I, I consider you one of the architects of it. You and, of course, Judas Priest as a band, I, I've always said I think the two architects of metal are Sabbath and then Priest, and ironically from the same part of the world and all of that, but I've always felt that. And you're in a situation where I'm sure in the few live shows you've done or the little bit of uh, reaction you've had to this band so far, you've got people out there like myself who have been along for the ride for decades, and then people that maybe have kids and stuff that they've turned on to Judas Priest and they're maybe into some of today's metal, which is a bit different. So my point being is you really, although I think the bulk of the audience are probably people like me who are old school priest fans, you're probably also picking up on a lot of younger people and you're trying to kind of you know bridge and bring those worlds together. And I think you've really done it with this record in terms of direction. Yeah, well, that's a very good point, really, Ed, because I'm, I know, obviously, since I kind of parted ways with the band in 2010, you know, um, it seems like there's a whole new audience in the decade that followed that, you know, and um, and quite rightfully so, you know. I mean, the moms and dads and uncles and even granddads, you know, take the youngsters <clears throat> to see their favourite bands and, and inevitably the, young, the younger audiences, uh, you know, um, can take a liking to it or not, but it seems like most people do you know most uh most of the uh younger audience um they have a liking for this kind of classic stuff that's uh probably you know was put out there just before electricity or maybe before <laughs> maybe just before like maybe a little bit after electricity but i understand what you're saying for sure <laughs> yeah you know yeah exactly like no, I totally, I totally understand. So let me ask you this. You know, I often find this interesting too. Like if musicians come out of even the most major band, like I think of somebody like Slash when he was outside of Guns N' Roses making his own records um, and countless other artists, they've got like, I, there's a, I think assumption among fans that, well, it's a, it's a cakewalk. It's going to be super easy for them because they were in Guns N' Roses or in KK's case, you know, he's a founding member of Priest and all of that. But it's not that easy, is it? I mean, you really, in some respects, when you do a new band and a new project outside of your main band, you really do almost have to build it from the ground up again, don't you? Yeah, you do, Ed. And the simple reason is the fact that you have, in the world today, you have brand names um, names that have a heritage and a legacy, you know, like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Scorpions, all of these brand names, you know, and um, and they're kind of etched in stone, you know, and people have 
of being fans and bought into that and being to the concerts and and it's the brand name brand name you know i mean quite simply i mean um with judas priest now i mean myself and glenn we're not there but the guys can go and still out and play okay not stadiums maybe but um you know big places arenas just it's the brand name is bigger and more important than 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 everybody that's in the band put together and it's always been that way and i think it always will be that way so as you say it doesn't matter what name i choose if it's not a brand name that's not been around for 50 40 30 20 years you know um then it doesn't have you know the credentials as far as the fans are concerned you know they're looking for a band okay you know, impress me, come up with the goods, let me see you live, let, you know, you've got to pass the, uh, to, to a certain uh, extent, you know, pass the test of time with people. So, yeah, it's not that easy, but, um, but you know, I think that I am fortunate that, you know, people do know me and my name and Ripper, and we were in, obviously in Judas Priest for so long. And, um and so it's a little bit of a head start on most new bands, and I guess we have to be thankful for that, really. What drives you to do it, though, KK? Because, you know, there are some that don't follow through on it. And I think of, for instance, a guy like Mick Mars he from Motley Crue. He had never done anything outside of Motley Crue. And for probably 10 years now, he's made a record, and he can't navigate getting it out, and he can't seem to get it together to put it out or a guy like geezer butler i had geezer on he had started a new band called deadland ritual and he came on the air with me and i said geezer are you gonna really be up for this like you just came out of sabbath are you gonna be up for getting in a van or playing in clubs or playing in theaters are you gonna be up for that and at the time he said yes and then six months later he left the band and told me i'm not yeah, doing yeah. that shit <laughs> so yeah, it's, okay. it takes a lot to stick it so to hang in there with it so for you What's the biggest driving factor to establish KK's Priest and keep doing it? Well, several things, I think, really, Ed. I mean, the thing is, I mean, this is... I've, I've been doing this now ever since I was a, a young a young lad, you know, and uh, and I've been on this wonderful journey, you know, this uh, evolution of music, you know, rock and metal as, uh, that we know today. And it's been fantastic to be a part of it. So I think first and foremost, I mean... Um, I'm really enjoying, you know, the writing experience now, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I loved being in the collaboration with Rob and Glenn all of those years, but sometimes it just got a bit kind of laborious, things can go slow, you know, and um, so I like kind of being at the helm with it, really, and going at my pace, and um, I'm absolutely delighted to have uh, put out two records in two years, and... Um, and, but the main thing is I think that as long as I think I can keep what I class as kind of classic metal alive, you know, because so many people say, oh, well, it's boring, you know, lyrics are cheesy, it's been done, it's all been done. But not the way I see it, because so many people now, they still enjoy everything that is um, from, you know, way, way back then, you know, early, you know, Scorpions, early UFO, early Priest, early Van Halen. You know, it's got so much credentials. So I'm just hoping to maybe inspire younger musicians um, to listen to these records and think, do you know what? 
this shit's really good. I like it. And it's kind of what I want to do, you know. Um, so therefore, you know, just basically keeping the whole thing alive because us dinosaurs, at some point, we will drop off the edge of the earth, you know, in mass numbers, um, you know. Um, but hopefully, hopefully um, at that point, there'll be, let's say, we've had the new wave of... Uh, of uh, heavy metal guys, you know, and let's have a second wave and a third wave and let's keep this thing going. So do you personally at this point in your career, I mean, we all know the story with Priest and that, uh, you know, you the band was going to end. That's when you, you know, were out of the band. Um, we, we all know that you had a desire to come back into the band. Uh, they did not uh, reciprocate. And then for you continuing to this, is this in some ways kind of re-energized you as a writer and a player? Because you you were kind of, you know, for a few years there, not really doing this sort of stuff. So has this gotten your juices flowing again creatively? It certainly sounds like it, both playing and writing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was kind of the, you know, the sole writer back in the 60s and early 70s. And uh, now I've kind of, you know, before I had two feet, but now I've got two feet and wings, you know. So I, f- I feel as though, you know, um, in some respects, you know, I've got that newfound freedom and um, and I can actually be the decision maker, really. And I don't have to collaborate. Like I say, we're, we're a, a writing collaboration, you know, together, three of us. And and I wouldn't change any of any a thing for the for the world, you know. I'm so proud of everything that, that we did and achieved. Um, but I kind of like to go at my pace now, and and just say if I like this and I think that this is good and um, this is the way I would like it to be, it's kind of nice, you know, um, to be able to do that. I think, you know, it's like when you let get let loose in. Your, your own kitchen or somebody else's kitchen, you can throw all the ingredients onto a plate that you particularly like, you know, you're just going to, mean, you're just going to get more satisfaction from it, I think, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Did you use, is, is it all the same team KK that made the, the first album sermons of the center and made this new coming album, the center rides again, all the same people involved in terms of uh, the yeah. band and producing. Yes, everything everything's the same. Yes, I, I'm the I'm the sole producer on both records, and um, and yeah, but like I say, you do a record and then you think, oh, you know, you're always striving to better yourself, and you should really because I don't think anybody gets out of bed in the morning and thinks, well, I did that and it's great. I'll do something else and and, and make it not so good. You're always trying to, you know, make it better if you can that's all you can do but the main thing is i do think that these two these two albums put together could make a great double album um and um it's just the production's a little bit different on the second album it's a little bit more edgy and uh, i do use the term metalized slightly um but i like i like the character of both records and i'm not exactly sure which one i prefer but um like I say, if we glued them together, that would make, uh, as far as I, I know, uh, a really uh, a really uh, good uh, double album. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you mentioned Ripper a couple times. Of course, that's uh, 
Tim Ripper Owens, who was in Judas Priest, did two studio albums with the band and really kept the band afloat during a, a tough time. I remember I did a lot with you guys during that period. Uh, tell me about your relationship with Ripper, because, I mean, his singing is tremendous, as everybody knows. But after Rob came back and Tim was out, did you maintain a friendship with him during all that time? And was he the natural guy you thought of to be the singer in, in this band? Yeah, I mean, Rob left um, and, you know, uh, after the Painkiller World Tour, and um, which is a bit ironic, really, because I think the band was on on one of its... It was a, it, it, we were on a high, really, you know. Um, we, we were doing really, really quite well. But anyway, Rob left for a, such a long period, and then... And then Glenn decided to do a couple of albums with Cozy and uh, John Entwistle. Um, and, um, and then when Glenn did that, it took quite a long time, really, more than five years. And we started to look for a singer. And we were just so fortunate to, to come across Tim, who was actually at that point singing in a Judas Priest tribute album uh, band. And um, so we got Tim in. And, you know, we have to be so grateful for Tim for, the, you know, for keeping the band alive and doing all of those wonderful tours and the albums and live albums and stuff. You know, um, it was a great, great contribution that he made. Um, but, you know, I guess the only reason there was uh, an about turn on that really was fan demand to have the uh, so-called, you know, um, what you would probably call, you know, you know the the well-known voice of a particular band. I often say like Bruce with Maiden and Freddie with Queen and, you know, Jagger with the Stones. There is a voice of, you know, there are a couple of ex exceptions, you know, um, but to the rule. Um, but for the most part, um, I think that that's what it was because Rob had been so established for, for so long, you know. Um, so I think, uh, rightly or wrongly, it was thing to do for the fans and we always have to think what the fans want we have to consider them you know because otherwise we're in jeopardy of of changing a natural course of history that the fans think it, you know potentially or realistically is the better option and the better and preferred route that they want you know we have to think about that. that's that's what i really do believe you know KK, did you, I'm sure you did. Did you see the movie Rockstar? Yes, I did actually in the end. I did, yeah. What were your, what were your thoughts on it when you saw it and how, was there any accuracy to it all at all being based on Tim's story be, you know, joining priest allegedly? Yeah, I think what happened was because the, the guys, I mean, I thought it was great really. I mean, it was such a, you know, compliment really, especially for Ripper, and um, and uh, th th they really asked us to be um, a part of that movie. You know, and um, but those would that would be thought better of it, and and so we kind of uh, kind of walked away from it. And I think when we did that, the producers and everybody thought that they would kind of. You know, uh, even though the basis of it, you know, would make a great story as it was if it was told accurately, you know, in a non-fiction way. Um, but 
when we weren't involved, they may well have been afraid of of maybe repercussions of something. You know, if we if they didn't if they uh, and in in what they depicted as accurate or not. So they kind of moved the storyline away, I think, a fair bit from Ripper, in all honesty. And, um, but, you know, I thought it was reasonably entertaining, really, to watch it uh, when I eventually got round, um, just taking it on face value for what it was, you know. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, it still comes on TV here every once in a while in the U.S. on the cable channels or whatever, and it's always fun to watch. And, you know, you could tell there's some, uh, you know, knowing you guys all so well, you could tell there's some, obviously some stuff taken from it. And obviously just like Hollywood does, some things greatly embellished and going off the rails. But I had always, you know, I've talked to Tim about it, but I always wondered what you thought about it, you know, when you saw it and thought it was, if you thought it was rubbish or you found it entertaining for what it was. Yeah, I mean, it would have been great to have done a really, really accurate kind of depiction of, of the absolute truth. That would have been great. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, you you can get a little bit spooked because if it just doesn't come off quite right, you know, you could lose your fan base because the thing is, at the end of the day, you're not in that editing room Ed, once you've signed some kind of agreement or contract to let somebody do the story, you know, and with no comebacks type of thing, um, you're not in the editing room, and so you you don't have control. And I don't think for a band where we was at that particular time, um, don't think it was a good idea not to have control over uh, the how the band was particular. Um, you know, um, I, I have people made the band look in the public eye, you know, because a lot of times, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood for a reason, you know, sensationalism and and kind of augmenting little details here just to make them a little bit more, you know, the old shock factor. So I think we probably did the right thing, um, you know, and let them just go ahead and use the basis of, of a story and embellish it in the way that they eventually did. Right. And of course, since since you ended up, you know, back then, Priest took a singer from a Priest tribute in, in Tim. I mean, that's been done so many times now. I mean, that that actually became somewhat of a blueprint and still is for bands going forward to find replacement singers in tribute bands. Famously, Journey, of course, has done it with their current yeah. singer and many others. So it, where it, at the time it was looked at as kind of this unique fairy tale story, it's actually happened a few more times. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the main thing is if somebody's really, really good in a tribute band, you know, um, they, they've got the, the chops, they've got the performance, and they've got the, the clothes and everything. It's kind of a ready-made replacement time, isn't it, really? So it's hard to um, resist uh, the temptation of just um, copy and pasting. Like, <laughs> you know, if the guy's that good, why not? Yeah. Uh, KK, I won't keep you much longer. Just a couple more uh, things. And we want to remind everybody again, the new album from KK's Priest, The Sinner Rides Again, is coming out on 
the 29th of September. You can pre-order it now, CD, vinyl, um, all the different ways you can uh, you, you can get it and uh, look into getting it. I've, I've heard it. It truly is a, a kick-ass metal record, and I, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I got to ask you, KK, about the, uh, the Hall of Fame because – you know, I screamed and yelled about Priest not being there forever uh, as a voter. I voted for you guys. I, I shook the cage as much as I can. It was great to see it finally happen. It was great to see you be up there with the guys again. I had Richie Faulkner on this show not long ago talking about that night. He said wonderful things about being on stage and playing with you and just kind of, you know, trying to give you, you know, the stage as best as possible and just kind of be up there to you know, support as best he could. I mean, obviously he was a priest fan, so it was a big thing for him to just to be on there with you. How do you, looking back on that night and going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, how did that all feel for you? And how do you feel the night went? Yeah, well, you know, I deliberated. I'm thinking it's a long, long way to go and because I'm not exactly sure how it's going to all pan out. But Oh, we, both myself and Les Binks, we were delighted when we heard, you know, from uh, the management that we'd been, we were going to be inducted. That was great. But shortly after that, we had another email uh, saying, uh, just to let you know that you and Les are guests of the band. So straight off the bat, I'm thinking, oh, here we go. You know, this is not exactly how I thought it would go. And, uh, and then obviously we were kept segregated, you know, flights. Uh, dressing rooms, hotels, uh, the red carpet, you know. So it was just total segregation, and um, and that was it. But I'm 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 really must uh, yeah um, shout out to uh, Richie. Richie was great. We came in the dressing room a couple of times. We had a good few laughs because lots of people were coming to our le- our dressing room. It was good. Dave Grohl popped his head in because he's such a lovely guy so down to earth and that was funny we, were, we had a few laps um, and it was great um, didn't say anything of the other guys but you know there it is but um, but to be honest um, once I got on that stage and I did it I was glad that I did it because I think that justifiably you know I um, I kind of earned that really you know um, and uh, yeah, there was there was some energy. There was a lot of energy from myself and Richie because I think Richie was thinking, you know, um, you know, I've got to go toe to toe with this guy, you know, otherwise I'm just going to look like, you know, shadow or something. But it was it was good, you know. We worked it well together, and um, but uh, I have to be honest, it just didn't feel like it used to. It was far from it. Um, I think we had, uh, well, we had two drummers and three guitar players. So that's one reason why it didn't quite seem the same as before, really. Um, but, yeah, it was was uh, fun. Like I say, I'm so glad to have, uh, I, I, that I made the decision to go in the end. Well, and I got to tell you, from a fan perspective, which at the end of the day I am and so many others are, I applaud both you and Priest for doing it, for for burying whatever hatchet, sucking it up for the fans and doing that, because there's been many times in the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where artists have gone in where there's these divides in the camp and you don't see the other person. They don't go. They're not included in the performance. Sometimes there's no performance at all. I mean, I was I was pretty involved when Kiss went in. 
uh, being friends with Ace and Peter. And there was such a divide there that nobody played. The band never played in any form. And it was just such a shortchanging to the fans being there that night. So, and yeah. then you've seen other yeah. instances where like Cheap Trick, who were having problems with the original drummer, but they still sucked it up. They brought Bunny Carlos out. They played as that band. And then they went their own ways. The way you guys handled it, at least to the public and for the fans, I thought was was fantastic on all fronts because that's how it should be. Because at the end of the day, that day, that event is, of course, honoring you and the musicians. But it's super important to the fans. And the fact that you guys did that that way, uh, I thought was was great and the way it should be. It was wonderful because it was a nice big arena there with probably about seven, seven and a half thousand people. It was just great to be in in front of an audience again, you know, after such a time. It was really nice. As you say, you know, Judas Priest, we always kind of flew the flag for this genre of music and, and did everything we could. So it was right that we uh, fulfilled that slot, I think, really, just to consolidate everything. And because um, and the thing is, the other big thing is to try to pave the way for other, you know, such deserving bands that should, you know, be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame but aren't. Um, so hopefully now with Sabbath and Priest in there, um, mind you, Maiden was nominated uh, in, in, in uh, the last time, just gone, and they didn't get in, and I was convinced that they would get in there because ridiculous. I, I, correct, me if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I, I, our performance had so many more hits than all of the other performances, you know, individually. And I thought, I thought the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame might go hang on. There's some good audience viewing here. People like this genre. We need to keep, you know. So I really thought that the Maiden guys would get in. I really did, you know. So, but uh, there's always a next time for the younger guys. Well, of course, they don't do themselves much favor because a they don't care about it, and b they speak out against it. So <laughs> they don't really. Yeah, yeah. I doubt. I doubt they'd even show up if they get nominated, knowing the way those guys roll. But uh, they're doing just fine without it. But yes, as fans, we'd all like to see them there. And I got to tell you. Uh, and I, you know, I think it was wonderful they included Les Banks, but I thought it was a travesty that they didn't include Tim because even though the two albums with Ripper were, you know, not hugely successful, uh, again, Tim came into Priest at a very, very tough time and kept the ship afloat, filled unbelievably huge shoes and filling it, you know, and, and coming in for Rob. And, uh, you know, I, I thought for a guy that made two studio records and a couple live records and was in the band for whatever it was, five years or so to include less and not include Tim. Uh, and again, it's not a band decision or your decision. I know, but for the hall of fame to look past him, I thought was absurd. Yeah, it's a very good point, And we have spoke about it. And I know I'm pretty sure Tim was quite disappointed you know, uh, for the pure fact that, as you said, that um, Tim was responsible for keeping the band alive, you know, throughout those critical years. And, um, and, uh, and you know, Tim has paid his dues. He's, you know, um, you know, and um, he's, he's made so many good records and he has to be the greatest singer. I mean, he's singing now better than I've ever heard him. I'm not just saying that because it's all there on YouTube for fans to go and check out. We just did uh, some festivals in Europe and all that footage is out there. And Tim just 
sings out of his shoes. He's just uh, just incredible. So, but lots of good things ahead for us. All being well, Ed, we're very very much looking forward to coming to the states, uh, home from home, and um, and uh, and do do some shows for you as soon as we possibly can. Well, we know we'll have you on the Monsters of Rock Cruise, which I host every year, so I'm excited to see you there early next year. Are you going to try to build U.S. dates around that because you haven't played yet yeah. in the U.S.? Is that the plan? Yeah. If we can't come to the U.S. this year, um, we are scheduled, or we were scheduled to play quite a big festival in Mexico. We wanted to put some shows, and uh, that's in the 2nd of December, in front of that and after that. But if that doesn't happen, we'll definitely try to do that around the Monsters and Rock Cruise. Try to do a few weeks before the cruise and a few weeks afterwards. You know, obviously not forgetting Canada as well. And, um, yeah, we're we're here. We're ready to go. We're just waiting for the promoters to call us. Um, But we are filling in dates at the moment for next year's European festivals as well. So that's that's going quite well. So, um, I think it's going to be very, very busy next year. You know, very busy indeed for us. Last thing, KK, and I'll let you go. What is the best Judas Priest album? Give me one. I know it's impossible, oh, but what's the I, best? If somebody is listening to this right now and never heard Judas Priest, and you got to say, you got to hear this band, what record are you giving them? Well, you know, it's so, so difficult isn't it that one is really really difficult but i suppose if i had to disappear on that desert island and only take one vinyl with me i'm tossing i'm tossing up between um sad wings of destiny british steel and painkiller and i don't know what's going to win but <laughs> it's such, nostalgia always hits big with me so i might have to go with sad wings but you know, if I could take those three albums, I would be, uh, you know, uh, and it's sacrilege not to mention Screaming for Vengeance and yeah. Defense of the Fight and all of the other ones, you know. Right. But I think, I think from a nostalgic point of view, I think Sad Wings was the album that, apart from the artwork and the font and everything, you know, around that, you know, and the and the Judas Priest emblem around the angel's neck and everything. It just totally epitomized and and um and just went so well with the the name of the band Judas Priest. Yeah. Hey, I'm just thinking as I let you go, do you know something I will never forget, which I'm of course I'm sure you remember, uh when you guys played for the my twenty fifth anniversary in radio, that private show in Times Square, do you know that that was 15 years ago already? Wow. That's gone by quick. And the reason, why I, the reason why I know that is that was from my 25th year in radio, and that means this year is my 40th year in radio, so I'm doing another party. It's going to be in Vegas in December. I know you don't live in the States. I know it. I'm still going to send you an invite. But I'm just telling yeah. you that what what you guys established for me and did for me back then, twenty you know, fifteen years ago, was one of the most special nights ever, one of the greatest honors ever, and I'll never forget it. And uh, uh, it's amazing that it's fifteen years ago, and we're going to do a big party for forty again. I'm going to invite you. I understand you. It's it's a haul for you, but yeah, still, sure. I wanted to bring yeah, that sure. up because it's amazing. 
Yeah, uh, if we if we can, absolutely, just send us the dates and time, and and we'll and we'll we'll see what we can do, Ed. But we'd love to be there. Um, you know, so um, yeah, love to be there to congratulate you on uh, the big four zero in in, <laughs> in radio. So, um, but that's you know, they often say. Well, I often say, Ed, there's no such thing as a young legend. And that's why you're a legend, buddy, because 4-0 in radio, that's amazing. But that's why everybody loves you, and that's why you are a big star on the radio. So well done, you. Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. Coming from you, it means a lot, KK, so thank you. Listen, um, you know, I can't wait for you to, to see some live shows uh, at the very latest on the cruise. I'll see you. And again, everybody get the Sinner Rides again, the second album from KK's Priest. It is out everywhere on September 29th on pre-order now in whatever format you'd like. Thanks for the time, buddy. Always great to talk to you and um, stay in touch. And we will talk soon and see you soon. It's a pleasure, Ed. Don't forget to send me the, those details. You never know. Uh, we'll try and show up. Thank you so much. Oh, you will get the invite. Thank you very much, KK. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Well, that second album from KK's Priest, even better than the first, I think. The Sinner Rides Again. Check it out. It is available now. And we'll see if KK gets over to do some shows in the U.S. He will be playing on the Monsters of Rock Cruise, which I host. And looking forward to that coming up early next year. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members, because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at as I promised you, a second interview this week also comes from a legendary British musician, David Coverdale, better known as DC. Uh, we will talk to David in this interview about the future of Whitesnake and if there is one 
and also about his time in Deep Purple, which was uh, started back in 1973, 50 years ago, and how he's celebrating that with a reissue of a White Snake record he did covering Deep Purple songs. Here's David Coverdale on the podcast. David, how are you, my hey, friend? Hey, less of the old. Less of the old, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say. Why aren't I seeing you? I wanted to see your shining face. You haven't washed your fucking hair, have you? I know. <laughs> Phone calls. I... How 70s of you. <laughs> you I figured you had that? enough of. I figured you had enough of seeing my mug, David. I mean, I figured, you know, we could just get it done vocal, on, on the voice at this point, right? Oh, <laughs> no, no. absolutely. Well, always a pleasure, Edward. Always a pleasure. You yeah, too, I got out of too. my, uh, I had got food poisoning uh, Sunday from orgasmic organic blueberries. And it's been quite the technical dream the last couple of days, but I couldn't resist talking to you again, my dear Edward. Oh boy! Well, I hope you're feeling well. And how are you feeling as far as the uh, the the sinus stuff and some of the stuff that took you off the road? I know you'd been dealing with that for oh, a while. It was quite an ordeal, right? Uh, you, darling, you should never ask a singer about his health issues unless you want an organ recital. Honestly, oh, God. <laughs> now I'm not going to tell you what's all the stuff that's going on, but this aging process sucks on ice. <laughs> yeah, but we're yeah. getting Tell there. Tell me about it. We're getting there. But let's get yeah. on to some good stuff, if you want, with this special gold edition. Have you got your copy yet? Did you get your gift I sent you? I did. You know, it was sent to my address in New Jersey, and I'm in Vegas at the moment. So when I'm back there oh, this weekend, I'll be man. there. So I have not seen it yet. I have a surprise waiting for me, I hear. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. Um, when, uh, oh, well, uh, there goes the surprise. I've got 200 copies of uh, the Purple Tour book. Um, and we're sending them out as gifts to friends. It's going to be on the Whitesnake merch online, uh, 310. Uh, they're beautiful books. Anyway, we're gifting you on with a signed copy and stuff. And I thought I was hoping you'd have it. Yeah, it's really pretty. But we're going to, so, as soon as we launch the record, I think 310 is going to put it on whitesnake.com. Uh, for people who only want it for Christmas presents. It's, you know, it's a beautiful book, holograph and all that stuff. Well, I really appreciate that, and I can't wait to check it out when I am uh, back east, which will be on the weekend. So Sweet. so let's talk, about, let's talk about this record. Um, I remember, and we spoke about this record, because the original version of the Whitesnake Purple album came out back in 2015, and like much yeah. of your catalog, you've uh, done a bit of a repolish to it and added some bells and yeah. whistles. So tell us about that process, and for people who had gotten the record originally, uh, what what they have, uh, what you have to offer them for this new reissue? Yeah, well, number one, nobody's under any instructions or orders. They have to buy it. This is something that felt appropriate uh, with this year being the 50th anniversary of me being blessed with a job with Deep Purple. Uh, it, it, it's an incredible, you know. Glenn and I, uh, we've been hoping to try to get together and just sit down and visual uh, record our thoughts and, and memories of that time because we're constantly in touch but sadly we haven't been able to do it yet hopefully before the end of the year but when i was working with that remarkable young man christopher collier who's also a vegas guy right now um 
he said, oh, my God, I can't wait to get my hands on this album. I said, well, you know, I've more or less just done it. He said, oh, no, no, there's more to be done. <laughs> so, you know, I went, all right, okay. So right now I have a whole new audio-video team uh, of young, hip gunslingers who really come in. Uh, and, of course, our your old friend as well as mine, the extraordinary Derek Sherinian. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've... I, I, I purposely tried to make the original more of a two guitar attack because that is White Snake, but I didn't have uh, I didn't have McKaylee at that time. And so while we were on tour, I asked Derek, and of course Derek loves that early Deep Purple stuff. That's a huge influence on his playing. So that's a huge difference to what the album is. Uh, we've edited things, cleaned things up. I've done some more vocals. But it's the extras on this, which are really, there's a lot more videos to the songs. Uh, what's being huge right now is Soldier of Fortune with Joel and I, uh, and four members of the Reno Philharmonic, who have allowed me to call them the Hook City Strings, two violinists of viola, uh, viola and cello, and they just play the most beautiful sensitive arrangement by Jeff DePauli, uh, the, the string arranger for the Reno Philharmonic. So that's really exploring the songs on another level. Um, you know my feelings. Songs should be able to stand up whether they have a, a barrage of drums and electric guitars or strip it down to that unzipped aspect. It should Songs should be able to have that kind of... Uh, uh, ability to be exploited in different ways and explored. Uh, also, which was like a gift from God, I have to say, but certainly was a gift from my mom. Uh, my new guys have been cleaning out the studio house and going, what do you want to do with this big blue trunk? Uh, no, no pun intended, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, what big blue trunk? No idea. So I said, bring it up. And like, it took four of them to schlep this thing up. And I'm going, I've never seen it in my life. I said, what's in it? And they said, I don't know, it's locked. I went, you have my blessing to tear it open. And it was my mother's personal effects from like 30 years ago um, that my aunt had packed beautifully. So now in my studio, not only do I have all my platinums and golds, but I've got my mum's darts awards, which is just She's got more awards than me for playing darts, God bless her. But I must have used her home address for the Deep Purple office because I was traveling everywhere. Um, I had no idea that she had, the Purple office had sent back my audition tapes with the Fabulosa Brothers, my local band in the north of England. Um, I thought they were gone forever. And here they are sitting there pristine i couldn't get my breath i said this is the key that got me the audition for deep purple and changed my life uh, and i called the guys the fabuloso brothers but first not getting ahead of myself but we played the setup of a reel-to-reel tape and and it was sounded so bad all garbled where it looked amazing like no faults with as you know with analog tape uh and we never gave up. We got in touch with Weta in New Zealand and said, look, we need a huge favor. Um, you know how the Beatles are doing, uh, whereas Giles Martin can remix albums that were recorded. They can separate sure. with this amazing software called MAL, M-A-L, 
but like the Beatles have got all the time book for this thing and it's a bespoke software. So we had to search high and low for software that could decode compromised audio. And, and we got it to a point where it was acceptable for us as bonus tracks. And I sent them to uh, the uh, surviving members of the Fabulosa Brothers who could not have been nicer, more generous, uh, and, and thrilled to be a part of this celebration. Um, and it was fabulous to reconnect with them. And now they're inspired to get together every week and play and jam oh. or just sit and have drinks and chat and memorize. It's just no negatives. It's just so cool. Um, and we found a bunch of photographs that from in there, some naughty Polaroids, but what, what not to tell you. <laughs> Hopefully my mom didn't go through them. Uh, but yeah, it's packed with all kinds of goodies. But really, this is just a total celebration. The remix is glorious. I'm thrilled with it. The, the alternate versions of songs that we have on there, it really is special for me. And it is a personal uh, celebration of, of this remarkable anniversary. Yeah, it's. I listened to some, you know, knowing the original record uh, very well, I did listen to it. It really is like a whole new record, and the material is so great. Mm -hmm. The performances are so great of the people that are on it. And um, oh, yeah, and, yeah. and then this this extra, you know, this extra content that's been added to it is also very, very cool. You know, I'm curious, David, when you talk about that early audition tape that you sent in, because yeah. as you mentioned, Glenn is out touring and playing songs oh. celebrating 50 years of burn. You've oh, been, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got this issue. He's, he's sensational. Yes. But when you taught, when you, that original early tape, Take me through that. Like you're a young guy, 20, 21 years old, and you hear about Purple, who at that point were already a massive global band. Did did you find out to send that tape in for the audition? Did you was there an ad in your local paper? Were you oh, tipped no, off by someone? No, how did you no, How did you I know to send it in? Well, I was a devout uh, reader of Melody Maker. Uh, a weekly musical periodical, news, a musical newspaper. And I was working in a boutique. I'd left art college because I didn't have a grant. And my, my mom was doing three or four jobs. My dad was uh, on unemployment. Uh, and, and as I say, I thought this is unfair. Uh, they're struggling to, for me to get to art college and stuff. So I looked around for a job where I could actually keep my hair long. And a friend of mine offered a job in a boutique in Redcar in the Northeast Coast, um, where I proved to be quite a significant and substantial salesman. So I became, in the early days, the singing salesman. Um, <laughs> and I just uh, had a, a guy come into the store, and, it, uh, and I'm going, can I help you? I, I was reading The Melody Maker and put it down. Uh, I said, can I help you? And he said, uh, hey, I know you, don't I? And I said, uh, I don't think so. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're that local guy who sings, aren't you? And he just cracked up. And he said, you should go after the job of Deep Purple and walked out. So somewhat crestfallen, I go back and open my Melody Maker. And there's a picture on the top left page of John Lord, very similar to the, bless his heart, very similar to the picture in Monty Python, but with his clothes on, you know, at the organ. And the byline said, Deep Purple still haven't found a singer and are considering unknowns. I closed the paper. I got some change. 
and I went to a public phone box around the corner. I'm seeing it now as I describe it. And I called my local friend and manager, Roger Barker, another friend of Sadly Lost. Uh, and I said, uh, do you have the number for the Deep Purple office? He said, yeah, of course, because he booked the Red Coat Jazz Club and Purple had played there. Uh, he said, you're not thinking of, I said, well, why not? He went, all right, call me back at six. <laughs> so I went back to the boutique and then Julie called him at six. He said, you have to have a tape and a photograph and a small bio, you know, otherwise it's not on. Well, the only thing I had is, was these Fabuloso Brother tapes. And, um, and I, I got kind of lit at the demo sessions. Bell Records had paid for, uh, paid for these sessions at 10CC Studios in Stockport in Lancashire, outside of Manchester. Um, and they passed. They passed on those tapes. But I was quite lit. But, of course, if you have no choice, uh, I got the permission from the guys to send this tape down. My mom gave me a picture of me as a Boy Scout, which I think you know is old news, because I didn't have any current pictures. Uh, <laughs> and in my note, as a D&D purple, as you can see, I'm always prepared, and my mom insists that she gets this photograph back. One of those things, you know, deadly serious. So as you can imagine, the entire world was after this job, and each member of the band or their assistants would go into 25 Newman Street, just off Oxford Street in London's West End, and come out with an armful of records, vinyls, cassettes, you know, tapes, etc., etc. And Ian Pace picked up the batch, which was the drummer, of course, and goes back to his apartment. And he stripped, you know, you can imagine they were bored out of their minds going through all of this stuff. But they, he played this thing, my tape, and he calls Richie and he goes, I think I found somebody who might be interesting. He's got a great tone, but he's rat-ass drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which you can hear little bits of, as you can imagine in these tapes. And he's but, in a Boy what, Scout uh, uniform. So, <laughs> well, go on. No, what? Go on, go on, Eddie. What were you saying? No, I was saying, and he's in a boy, and he's got an interesting image because he's in a Boy Scout uniform. <laughs> oh my God, yeah! But he says to Richie, and he's got a sense of humor. And Richie goes, "What?" He goes, "He sent a picture of himself as a fucking Boy Scout." And Richie said, you're joking. He said, fuck it, let's get him down. That was it. That was the beginning. That was the beginning. And they did, thankfully, send that photograph. As we later discovered earlier this year, Mom got that photograph back. It's, and uh, it may be, it's, it's it may be, and, David. And just seeing these things and, and hearing this music, it just relit remarkably vivid memories of, of that time. Insane. I just recently tweeted pictures of Scorpio Studios uh, in Houston, um, Marylebone Road in London, which is the studio where I auditioned with them. It was unforgettable. And thank God I it, took the whiskey. <laughs> and it may be because your mom wanted the photo back, it may be why they also returned the tape because they figured, well, let's put everything in one envelope and return it since she wants well, the, the photo other back. Thing so that, that was in there was a tape of uh, Psalm Studios or something where they'd run copies. The office had run, Purple Office had run copies to send to the other members of the band. In those days, oh. they all had reel to reel uh, tape decks, you know? Right. So, because I couldn't understand what the hell is that doing in there? I thought, oh, that's where they must have done copies to send out to. 
to Richie and, and all the other guys. So, cause they all lived uh, outside of London in, in beautiful country estates. But amazing. David, what was Game changer, life changer, just astonishing. David, what was the very, you said you went to that, then you got the very first, the, the audition or the very first time you played with Purple. What was that like? Oh. And did they tell you immediately that you got the gig after the first time you met and jammed with them? Or did it take a little while? Oh, no, 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 no. They, told, they took like five days. The band had pretty much decided immediately. Uh, and I felt very confident. Ian Pace took me to King's Cross Station, a first-class ticket back to the north of England. Are you kidding? This is a different life for a working-class kid from Saltburn. Um, so I blew my 40 pounds of savings stuck under a mattress. Cause I lived over a nightclub, and I'd be down there buying drinks thinking I had the gig, and like two or three days later, I hadn't heard a fucking word and I'm going, oh, Christ, I've got to start making some excuse why I didn't get it. You know, I've been thinking about it, and I'm not sure this is my cup of tea. And it was like five days later, uh, I got a, a, I didn't have a phone. My, one of my best friends uh, had an office close to my apartment. His secretary comes running in and says, oh, my God, Deep Purple's office is on the phone. So it was like, Jesus. I run down. My friend has a bottle of Glenfiddich. Whiskey plays a big part of my life, apparently. A bottle of <laughs> Glenfiddich and two glasses to either celebrate or commiserate. Uh, and it was there were two managers of Deep Purple, John Coletta and Tony Edwards. And Tony Edwards was there. Hello, David. How are you? I said, oh, oh I, I'm fine, Tony. Uh, how are you? Fine, fine. My God, Eddie, he's milking the tits of this thing. Uh, and it's like 10 minutes into the phone call. I'm sweating. And this friend of mine sitting across me at his desk and he's going, well, well, well. <laughs> he goes, oh, by the way, the boys have asked me to tell you you're in. When can you get down to London? Uh, that was the mind. Um, that was the ass kicker. That was amazing. Amazing. What was the first show? Where and what, what are your memories of the very first show you played with Purple? Oh, it's the, it, was, it wasn't supposed to be the first show. I think the first show was supposed to be Aarhus, double A-R-H-U-S in Denmark. Uh, and the weather was so bad, uh, that was cancelled. So we went straight to Copenhagen at the K, the original KB Halle. Um, I think two or 3,000, I'm not sure. But this was, I was used to play to 20, 30, 50 people or something, you know, in, in bars and pubs. Um, so, you know, oh, this is a fascinating part. Not a lot of people know. We're backstage, right, before the show, uh, and everybody's nervous. The manager's there. He's pacing around nervous, and I thought, I better get out of here. So I went upstairs and found a room. I had a scotch and coke at the time, whiskey coke, and I sat there, and basically I was giving myself a talking to, well, this is it, David. This is a make or break it. Don't blow it. You know, you're ready to do this. You can do, you know, giving this pep talk, you know. Meanwhile, all the band and the crew are searching all over. The crew are out looking all over the streets thinking I've done a fucking runner. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. And I was upstairs and I just absolutely have no idea. So I'm walking downstairs with my drink and everybody goes, he's here. We found him. Where the fuck have you been? One of them things, you know. I said, well, well, well just I said, we're on. Come on, we're on. <laughs> and that was, listen, I've got to tell you, it's vivid in my memory and in my ears. All the lights go off in the, the arena. 
The roar is deafening. I've never heard anything like it. And I can't see a fucking thing. And suddenly the roadies put on flashlights so you can see your way to the stage, stepping over cables and wires and stuff. And I walk on stage and for the first time ever, I screamed, are you ready? And I hadn't planned it or nothing. And it was as if uh, an enormous amount of butterflies flew out of my system and I was off and running. You know, you know, David, I'm curious about this, too, because in the music world that we're in today, it's completely common of so many bands to have lineup changes. There's even times where uh, somebody can't play a show and the guitar player's guitar tech fills in. It's the norm now. Back then, 50 years ago, it wasn't like that. So here, here's Deep Purple no. with a new lead singer and a new bass player that's also singing in Glenn Hughes. Two major changes. Roger Glover gone, Ian Gillen gone, and here comes Glenn, and here comes David. Uh, what was the what, what were you immediately embraced by the Purple fan base, or did it take a while for them to get up oh to speed were, with the new lineup? Well, the the outs. Well, I was more embraced by the actual musicians than the management. But Glenn, of course, had experienced some substantial success with uh, and had been to America with Trapeze. In fact, I'd borrowed You Are The Music, We're Just The Band. You know, Glenn knows the story prior to my audition because, you know, he was saying he was a singer uh, uh, and, and intimating at one time that he might be the lead singer. And of course, Glenn's magnificent. He's my soul brother and righteous brother and the bluebird uh, that I, I called him, just a beautiful singer. Um, and then I played, oh, my God, I played You Are The Music and went, dear God, I loved, you know, Mel. I could, and then, you know, Mel and Dave Holland were, were going to be the blueprint of Whitesnake at the very beginning. But um, so I, I turned around to my girlfriend at the time and she's looking at me. I swear to God, Eddie, like, I don't know why you're bothering <laughs> It wasn't the biggest vote of confidence, I have to say, but fuck it, it worked, you know. And uh, yeah, vivid. I'm hoping I can grab Glenn and we can just shoot the shit because we're of all the members of Purple, uh, he and I have just stayed in touch and supportive of each other, and I'll be promoting his his tour. Uh, uh, that starts in February, I think, isn't it? I love him to bits. I think he's an enormous talent. Yeah, no doubt, and uh, still sings tremendously Richie, well. It's... To answer, forgive me, to, to answer part of that was in me, one of the questions I was asked by the management is if I was a writer. Now, the musicians I'd worked with in Rivers Invitation in the north of England and in uh, government and, uh, and, of course, the Fabulosa Brothers, they were so encouraging to me to write the only thing we would do is announce it say oh he's a song by steppenwolf because the promoters of these bars didn't want people singing their own songs you know um Mm. so i have to doff my cap to my you know my former colleagues who were not only amazing musicians and helped prepare me for such an immense leap but then um, i brought down to london and taken to camberley where richie used to live um, where he played me, well, we drank quite a bit, <laughs> and he, he had a beautiful German 
perfect scale, which I didn't know anything about, it was a perfect German bar built into his house. It was brilliant. Um, and he plays me these Revox demos of songs he's been preparing. Well, spine chilling stuff. And he, you know, he'd go, what do you think? What, and I'm going, fucking. <laughs> so we wrote, a, you know, a lot of the record. The big deal with Deep Purple was that each member brought an immense personality, character, and sonic. For instance, Richie, John, and I pretty much, and Glenn wrote uh, the lyric on, you know, we had no time on Burn. Um, but Richie and I wrote a lot of that. But the arrangement, the rhythm section of Ian Pace and, and Glenn Hughes was just, they did that. I found a version, by the way, which I can't use. I can't put out there because I don't have any rights to it. But I found early versions of us playing Burn without that intro. Wasn't on there. That came with uh, Glenn and Ian exploring each other. And it was, oh, wow. it, it couldn't have been better. And it still stands up, you know. There is, uh, all of this comes out, by the way, that we're talking about. Uh, the Purple Album Special Gold Edition is available everywhere starting this Friday. Various configurations. There's CD, Blu-ray version. There's a vinyl version. And there's a ton of content on here, including the demos we talked about. And including, yeah. you have a... Um, you have demos of material that you started working on for the second album that you were a part yeah. of with Purple with Stormbringer as well, right? Well, Richie, when we moved to uh, L.A., Richie had arranged for me, you know, his deal with Fender was huge. Uh, and they delivered uh, Fender Rhodes piano, a, a Fender Strat. I've still got the, I think it's a Mustang bass, I'm not sure, Um and I'd make, you know, I bought a uh, TAC 33S, which I still have. And these are my, some of my early efforts, because basically I just play a few chords and I play them, I record them now on my voice memos. I, I, don't, I can't be bothered doing classy demos. And I'll sit down with, uh, with my guitarist or keyboard players and go, look, you know, this is the idea, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And then we explore that particular idea. But that was, there was some ideas, as you say, for instance, is at the beginning of what became Only My Soul, which I never finished to actually present to the guys. I can't remember now, but there's some things on there that came later. But Richie wanted to change. Deep Purple had been a five-way split, probably seven-way split with the management from the very beginning. And Richie said to me, and of course, remember this, I'm the new boy. I'm still sitting at the, the, the feet of this great disciple, this mentor. Um, he said, what are you, he said, I'm sick of doing all the work. He said, uh, uh, those are his words. Um, I'm going to change the structure of this thing. And, and I have no idea what he's talking about. He said, what, what's your favorite two songs that we've done? And I went, uh, mistreated and sail away he goes okay we're going to have black mole coverdale compositions well when that was presented the band oh my god did the shit hit the fan i thought i'd be on the next train and not first class ticket back to the north of england but then because of the way it was restructured i became the principal writer for the next album and and the last album with tommy bowling wow interesting and so so and and why do you think i always wondered this I mean, we know that Tommy came in, Come Taste the Band was the final album with you and Glenn, and really the final yeah. Purple album for a while. 
Why? Yeah. But but again, even with Blackmore being replaced, there's footage and video of you guys going to places like Indonesia and everything and playing the stadiums. Uh, Purple yeah, just yeah. kept drawing people and still, even with major lineup changes, it just kept being this huge global band. And, and we know Tommy had his demons, which unfortunately took his took his life in the end. But yeah. why do you think? Why did Purple uh, not make a fourth record with the with you and Glenn? What, how was, did it kind of it unravel? Totally, it was it was being ripped apart by uh, drugs. Um, when I, I left the last, I didn't want to do the UK tour, the very last tour. Um, it kind of got out of hand. You know, look at any stories of uh, of the '60s, '70s bands. You know, and and the, right. the drugs and stuff or whatever uh, was just immense. Uh, it was just part and parcel of what you did. You had very accommodating Harley Street doctors who gave you whatever the fuck you wanted, um, uh, and that was it. You know, Tommy developed uh, some very unpleasant things. It was. It, it wasn't fun. Uh, I did the UK tour as a friend, as the uh, the temporary tour manager, which I regretted bitterly because uh, it, it was a sh- shoddy tour. Uh, and at the last show in Liverpool, um, I left. I, that's when I left uh, the band. I turned around and I saw John Lord playing with his head down instead of his usual proud uh, John Lord statuesque posture and pace is playing with his head down. I'm going, I don't want to be part of the breakdown of this three years after, you know? So I, mm. I buggered off and I went to my mom's house. Uh, I'd already got a little pub. So I went to my mom's pub and she was very gracious. And uh, I was so exhausted emotionally by the whole experience, the whole three years really. Uh, but the last year had been extraordinarily challenging to any human. Uh, and she was very gracious. You know, I'd fall asleep in front of the fire. I'd wake up, there'd be a cup of tea there, a sandwich or whatever, and have a bite, a sip, and then I'd be back asleep. And she didn't push me or ask me what's going on. And then eventually I started to write my resignation letter, which took like a week, nine days, something like that, because I couldn't really articulate that I was leaving this incredible scenario, you know. Things changed after well, Richie went. You know, you do know that my the first one I put on the list, and, and I don't think anybody thinks, I don't like replacing as an idea, but a, a new guitar player was Jeff. You know, immediately, I didn't know him as well as John and Ian. I said, well, oh, that'll be like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. But, you know, I've fucking adored Jeff uh, forever. Um, Jeff Beck? The second one was Rory Gallagher. Uh, who I thought but could have been David Jeff Beck. Player. I'd open you talking about him, huh? You're talking about Jeff Beck. You you suggested Jeff Beck yeah. for Purple. That he was the first one on my list after Richie said he was leaving, followed by Rory Gallagher, who I'd known since Taste, and I was just a huge admirer of him, and he was a beautiful right. soul. And the third one was Tommy Bolin, who I'd just listened and enjoyed on Billy Cobham's Spectrum album. Now he is the kicker, Eddie. When I'm standing with Tommy, like months later after he's in the band, we're listening to Spectrum at some party, and I'm going, oh, I love this lick. He said, oh, that's Jan, Jan Hammer. Nine out of ten licks that I thought was Tommy was Jan (laughs) Hammer. You remember when we started to explore the synth, like sounding like a guitar? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm going, Tommy, come on now, I'll buy you a drink. (laughs) 
<laughs> so funny. Hey, did did Jeff Beck ever consider the gig? Did they offer it to him and he oh, passed or what happened? Was, Do you it, know? No, no, it was never even approached to him. Yeah, Jeff oh, okay. was the first person before it was announced that I was in purple. John Lord took me to an amazing watering hole in London called the Speakeasy. Um, and I went down and I'm going, oh, what is this? And, and nobody knows. It hasn't been announced. And who's fucking standing there? Jeff Beck. Oh, hi, John. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? He said, here, Jeff, this is David Coverdale. And I'm like, fuck, Jeff Beck. <laughs> Huge fan. And have been before that, you know, for his, since I first heard him in the Yardbirds. But he sticks his hand out. He goes, oh, congratulations, mate. And I went, Fucking hell, I'm shaking Jeff Beck's hand. Next, I'm having a pee. There's no cell phones, no phones there. I'm in this small men's room, and Ginger Baker walks in, bumps <laughs> his head against the bathroom, and starts talking incomprehensible Cockney to me. <laughs> Once again, unforgettable, unforgettable. And I was with Jeff the last night of his show, and it was beautiful. He said to me, you've always said you'd be there for me if I needed you. This was the last night with him and John. Um, of the tour, I said, he said, does that still stand? I said, absolutely. And he went, okay. And a couple of weeks later, a mutual acquaintance said, why don't you do a Japanese tour with Jeff? And I said, well, Jeff and I talked about that years ago. Is he up for it? You know, because I was still recovering from that sinus stuff. Uh, I said, I, and then the next thing, of course, Jeff passes, mm. which was you know, still very profoundly deep in me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yes, but yeah, indeed. So he never, a... he had never, he didn't have a clue. I think I probably told him over a drink years later, uh, and he went, "Oh, that would have been fun," or whatever. Jeff was just a fucking great guy, you know. Um, uh, Rory never knew. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I must have talked about it in interviews because uh, Rory, I, I bumped into him in Musicland Studios. He was actually working with Roger Glover at the time, um, and we sat and talked and stuff. Uh, it, it was just lovely. Uh, he was a beautiful soul, Rory, and a superb player. Um, and being Irish helps, of course. <laughs> but, hey, David, uh, I, w Tommy, I won't keep... Tommy, that's a whole new story. Whenever we have an opportunity, I'll regale you with his, with his audition. Good God, it was amazing. Yeah, and, and, he, and he's got his fans as well and, and tragically no longer with us either. You know, David, uh, I could talk to you forever about this stuff because your, 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 your recollection of it and, and the stories are phenomenal. And it brings me, and, and I, I won't keep you much longer, but it brings me to an, an obvious question here. As you paint these scenes, and it's so awesome to hear these stories from you, um, yeah. have you ever thought of doing a book? Have you ever thought of doing an autobiography and, and, and laying all this out? I mean, it would be an amazing read. Well, I think how white was my snake? Uh, <laughs> maybe a contender, <laughs> but I've been talking with my head of creative, uh, Peyton Murphy. We have some, and, oh, and, and, and his assistant, Aidan Melendez, and we have some really, really fun ideas. You know, can I just slip back into one of your questions earlier? How did it feel hearing those fabuloso brother things? When you sure. listen to them, you can hear my, I think you can hear my Stevie Marriott uh, influence on a lot of the high stuff I go for. A lot of people miss that in my, 
It, that was Stevie Marriott and the Small Faces, more so than Humble Pie, uh, was a huge influence on me when I realized how to project my voice. Um, and I can hear some of Stevie, which is such a pleasure to to be reminded of that, because I, I adored. Uh, I saw Stevie uh, paying off his bar bill at a club David Krebs owned in New York. I watched the show with Christopher Reeves, who looked just like fucking Clark Kent and was so adorable, <laughs> such a sweetheart. Another tragic loss, you know. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, for sure. it's uh, it's an incredible 50 years. It's mind blowing that it's so vividly clear for me. And I'm so proud of Reb and Joel and, and, and Sharinian and Tommy and Michael Devin. You know, they just brought it and and played with nobody's competing with Richie or Glenn or anything. It's just them playing their asses off on really good songs that have stood the test of 50 years. You know, I'm so proud well, of, uh, of the guys. So proud of them. Phenomenal players. And, and I can say I would love a David Coverdale book autobiography of all these stories in great detail. I hope you can get that together. I'll leave you with this, DC. Again, this album is out on Friday. Everybody check it out. Even if you have the previous version of the record, this is a whole new thing. And it's really, really cool. Um, Final thing, David, what can you tell us about your status and Whitesnake? I mean, is Whitesnake, are you still going to try to do something with Whitesnake? Are you going to try to resume the the farewell tour you were on? Or have you really kind of put it to bed? What are your thoughts? Well, I'm still having to, my band and I are in touch all the time. There is still a white snake and there are still offers coming. I can't entertain anything until I get my physical aspect together. You know, uh, I'm supposed to, I, I had a fall recently, which I don't think helped my, I've got two torn rotator cups, which would certainly compromise my performance, but you know, arthritis, all these kind of stuff's kicking in. You know, my heart goes out to Stephen after the cancellation. It's so right. awful to uh, getting older and having this burden of responsibility to be try to be as good as you can. So, you know, you don't disappoint anybody, Edward, you know, and, and I know how he feels and I send my love to him through our friends, mutual friends, uh, but I can't commit to anything until my, I know how my help is. I, the last thing I want to do is go on tour and have to do what happened last year, which was, you know, come home, tail between my legs. Uh, it, it was heartbreaking. And being sick for a year didn't really help matters. But, you know, I've stayed busy with my amazing new team of hooligans, Hook City hooligans. Uh, and my band are there for me. Bless them as I am for them. I love them dearly. Uh, Tanya is supposed to be coming up to do uh, cook for Cindy and I uh, for her Highway to Health uh, show, uh, which is all, always worth things. She's a super, super uh, soul, uh, an amazing ambassador for a home country of Ireland uh, and an absolute doll, a delight to work with, and a seriously powerful musician. I was recommending to Johnny Depp for the for the vampires, but he said, "I, I, I think we have someone." <laughs> ah. <laughs> I said, "Well, I give it a go. She's beautiful." <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope we get a chance to see another run with White Snake. But I, but I agree with you. Well, uh, you, you we all want to know, Edward. You'll be the first. Well, the band will be the first to know, but you'll be the first to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, uh, and I agree with. I, I, releasing them from my. Sorry, darling. No, I was going to say, and I agree with you completely. Though, as a fan, you want it to be right. You want it to be good. You want everybody to be oh, in the yeah. right place if you're going to do it. But you're still a kid, DC. You're st- you still got a lot oh, of life left heart. in you. You I can know, get it I back feel, out there it's, again. It's horrifying to be experiencing some some of these mortal aspects. <laughs> hey, we're all there. It's not my, it's not my <laughs> bag, you know, and it's starting to get cold again. So my knees are going. My knees, uh, the titanium buggers are like uh, barometers. As it gets colder, uh, it becomes a little interesting uh, trying to cut the uh, cut a rug with my wife. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I think there's life in the old snake yet, uh, and that's my plan. I'm just going to do the best I can, as I've always done, and I always appreciate your support. And as I say, Edward, my love to you and your team and your family, and stay safe and well out there, and enjoy Vegas. Thank you, David. Best to you and the family as well. Always great to talk to you. You know where to get me. And uh, and I hope you, you can it, make bro. my event in December. I sent you the invite. I'd love to see you hope, if you can yeah, make it. I do hope. Um, uh, there may be a family trip going on, but I'll be in touch with you to let you know what's happening. Family trip to Vegas. What's better than that? <laughs> no, no, London, London, London. That's where my two oh, granddaughters, gotcha. they're both going to, my eldest granddaughter's at Cambridge University, Edward. It's, they're, they're amazing. Oh, exactly like amazing. their mom. Beauty and brains, you know, and, and Cindy has yet to meet our, our little baron, uh, uh, um, August. Uh, I've met him a few times, but because of COVID, of course, uh, they didn't travel uh, the, the Atlantic. So this will be the first right. time for Cindy to meet her grandson. I'm so excited. Fantastic. Well, enjoy the family. Enjoy the time. And everybody check out the Bless special edition of the Purple Album. It is out this Friday in all configurations. All the best, David. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. God bless, darling. Cheers, Edward. Bye-bye. See you. Well, always good to speak to DC. And that book he was talking about sending me, or the gift or whatever, still hasn't arrived. But I let him know they actually sent it to the wrong address. I think somebody in New York ended up with it at our studio. But regardless, uh, the thought that counts. So thank you to David. And check out the reissue remix of the Purple Album. Also, thanks earlier to K.K. Downing, former guitarist of Judas Priest. His latest record out now as well with K.K.'s Priest. Thank you all for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Again, new episodes every Thursday. And please come on board and join me for my radio show every day on Sirius XM, Channel 103, live daily, 3 to 5 Eastern, for Trunk Nation or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Again, free uh, trial subscription, SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Three free months, no credit card required. Be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter or X. Facebook page and Instagram, eddytrunk.com is the website. Have yourselves a great week, everybody. Hope you catch me on the radio. If not, back here next Thursday for another new podcast. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. 
Plan your own music field trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.